And welcome back to What's for Dinner, uh, part two. I say welcome back because this is a continuation of the uh, conversation that I was having on the last episode with Ben Michaels. Um, for those of you who missed the first episode, well, this will make very little sense. I'll give you a quick recap. Ben Michaels is a uh, friend of mine who I've known for over 20 years. He's a dueling piano player, and this interview was taking place on the Norwegian getaway where uh, we were trapped for about two weeks doing a um, uh, transatlantic cruise. So uh, the last episode talked about how Ben, uh, uh, his studying in music and how he was getting into the dueling uh, piano playing. This episode picks up where he talks about his uh, first foray into dueling, um, the first initial clubs he's working, how he got involved with Howell, and very interesting how um, the whole dueling piano concept actually came up, came to be. It's kind of a it's it's a it's an interesting it's it's an interesting story. I could totally see this being like a made for TV movie, not quite theatrical movie because doing piano isn't that exciting. I'm kidding. I am kidding. It's actually very exciting. My whole point is the story. It's really interesting. You kind of see as he's telling it, you, you kind of see it in your mind as it's happening. And we talk about a lot of other stuff um, as usual, just random stream of conscious stuff. But it all comes back to uh, entertainment in some way or another. Uh, and hey, speaking of entertainment, for uh, those of you in the California area, um, got some shows coming up. Um, let's see, starting um, this weekend, June first, excuse me, second and third, I will be uh, headlining at the Ventura Harbor Comedy Club in uh, Ventura Harbor, California. It's a great club. It's really a lot of fun. Hope you guys can make that. And in two weeks from now, uh, the 16th and 17th of June, I'll be headlining at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, uh, Burbank, California. So excited about this. Uh, this is one of my favorite clubs in Los Angeles, and uh, they're headlining the main room. So this is a big deal, and I would love to get as many people as I can out there. If you guys want to come, email me. Please email me if you're in the area. Going to be in town again June 16th and 17th. I could definitely get you in. That's not even an issue. Would love to see you all there. And uh, next and the following week, I'm doing a couple little California gigs. I'll be at back at the Throckmorton Theater in Mill Valley, California, just outside of San Francisco on June 20th. And June 24th, I will be in the Fresno area at O'Sullivan's. And both of those shows, including Flappers, uh, the lovely Allison Weber will be joining me. So I'm going to have a lot of fun this month. Hope to see you guys there. But most importantly right now, I want to shut up with my rambling because I want you guys to enjoy this episode 204 of What's for Dinner uh, and the conclusion of my talk with Ben Michaels. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, part two with Ben Michaels. Uh, hope you listened to part one. It was a very, very interesting uh, uh, show about uh, my guest, Ben Michaels, who's a, a dueling piano player. Um, but we talked about his uh, early careers, his influences uh, from his father to Billy Joel, and um, his uh, experiences as a musician throughout the 1980s. Now, we're picking up uh, right now where uh, this is around 1990. Mm-hmm. Ben has just left Florida. He's moved to New York. Right. Right. Okay. Now, in New York, I assume, is where you got into dueling pianos? I wish it were so. Oh. <laughs> and wish... the story starts with a twist right at the beginning. Yeah. I wish it were so. Um, well, uh, very briefly, what sure. happens in New York? 
I, I do want to kind of make it brief because it wasn't a really good time in my life. Okay. Yeah. It was 1990 to 1992. I was 25 when I got there and 27 when I got out. Um, and I, I'm actually, I do use the words get out with some forethought. Really? Okay. Yeah. I got out. New York kind of. New York, New York uh, kicked my ass. Really? Yeah. New York kicked my ass. New York can do that. It can. It can, and that's a whole other podcast. Really? Or it could be a whole other podcast, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you can it, open up now if you want, man. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, am I free to open up, doctor? Yeah. You, yeah? <laughs> okay, okay. So, all right. Um, no, I mean, the, the, the real, the, the short way of, uh, of talking about those, uh, the synopsis of those two years is New York is now has always been and will probably always be uh, the best of everything and the worst of everything. It is both. Uh, that's the uh, that's the allure of New York, really, when you think about it. Yeah. You say, well, what's the allure of having the worst of everything? Well, some people are drawn to that. Right. You know. Um, and, that's a great uh, name for a song. You got a, you got, you got a song right there. Best of it? everything, worst of everything. Best of everything, worst of everything. It's just New York. There you go. There's a all right. Still we'll have to work on that, Mr. Schultz. No. Okay. That, you're, you're the lyricist. You're the lyricist. You're the guy with the story. I'm the guy. All right. Well, it's, you take notes. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. That's, so, um, but yeah, that's it definitely 1990 to 1992 was um tough time in my life. Okay. Tough time in my life. Got out. Um, did my time. Got out. I uh, got out in 92. Moved to Atlanta. Okay. And in 92, I moved down to Atlanta. Um, I had gone to New York. I picked New York because I had a brother and sister that were living there, uh, two older sisters and an older brother. And um, I had uh, you know, one sister and my brother were both living in the city, both living in Manhattan. And I felt like if I was going to get out of Miami, and it was time, it was definitely, it was overdue. It was time to get out of Miami. Um, if I was going to go someplace, um, I wanted to go someplace that I felt was uh, safe, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. uh, if you can imagine feeling that New York, New York City safe, yeah. in 1990 is safe, and little did I know, um, really little did I know, uh, I, I went. I wanted to have a support system in place. Okay, that makes uh, sense. That I I remember even thinking literally verbatim to myself. Well, there's a support system up there, of sorts. There's my brother and sister, and uh, and all that. So uh, went up there, did my time for two years, moved to Atlanta, and some of the same process, some of the same thought process actually occurred because I had a cousin, uh, two cousins down there, uh, were all first cousins to each other. They were there, a guy and a girl. Okay, they were there with their respective spouses and their kids, and I had a quote unquote support system in Atlanta, and moved down there in 1992. Uh, first year that I was living there, year and a half, I want to say, um, picked up some gigs, okay. uh, hotel lobbies, a uh, couple of private functions, playing all background music, didn't sing. But still, this but is, still. Uh, but, but very similar to the gigs you were doing in Florida. Um, in, in the sense that it was... No, they weren't. Uh, Florida was corporate events. Florida, I was a side man. Okay, I was in a band, and I was what they call a sideman. I was the piano player in a four-piece band okay. with a lead singer. 
okay, both times uh, with the uh, the syphilitics and um, the uh, then with the showstoppers was the name of the band actually from eighty four to eighty nine the yeah. showstoppers is a family band um, like that so uh, no when I was living in Atlanta um, I did uh, solo stuff just background hotel lobby gigs um, again you know maybe a, a dinner or a you know for a company private function where they wanted a, just some background <laughs> piano and, and stuff like that so did yeah. that um, so you did that a couple years in Atlanta yeah, about, about a year and a half about a year and a half and again and it wasn't my it wasn't enough to make a full-time career out of it okay it wasn't anywhere near enough um, so I was let's see what else did I do? I worked for my cousin, uh, my cousin Robin, doing construction. Um, I worked for a, a, a temp agency. Uh, they sent me, I remember I did, I worked in Georgia, uh, Georgia Lumber. Georgia Lumber, I did work, worked for a couple of weeks for them. So essentially, uh, you were just yeah. you were you were gigging around. You were uh, just finding odd jobs here or there. I, odd jobs here or there. Um, I was, in the words of one of my aunts, uh, I was floundering. Mm. Sometimes that's I what was, the twenties are for. Yeah, you know. Now, yeah. when did uh, when did dueling come your way? So when dueling came my way was in Atlanta. Okay. Um, I was twenty eight. Uh, it was August of nineteen ninety three. And the girl that I was seeing at the time, we were sitting, having lunch, and um, I was sitting across from her. She was reading a uh, this left-wing, somewhat college student-geared um, village voice knockoff rag called uh, Creative Loafing. Okay. Creative Loafing. Now, in Miami, it's called the New Times. Yep. All right? Yep. In Miami, it's called the New Times. In Charlotte, North Carolina, it's called the Independent. I wouldn't be surprised if they were all owned by the same company, but that's what they that's what it was. Gotcha. And it was like a free newspaper that came out once a week. And she's sitting there reading that, and she's reading in the back. She's looking through the classifieds. I don't know if she was doing that on my behalf, okay, or what she what she was doing, but she looks through the classifieds. She's Hey, babe, look at this. Look at this. It says, if you can sing and play the hell out of the piano, call Jimmy at Jelly Rolls. 404 or whatever, blah, 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 like that. And she says, you play, don't you? And I don't think she'd ever heard me play. Really? Which was interesting, yeah, because, I mean, where was she going to hear me play? At a hotel someplace, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, she might... Actually, come to think of it, maybe she did. It, it, it doesn't matter. She says, you can play, right? I said, of course. Yeah, I know I can play. Um, I knew I could play the hell out of the piano. That, was, that wasn't was an given. issue. That yeah. was an issue. Um, could I sing? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I did not know. Um, I had never sung professionally. The only thing I had ever done was I sang at one or two of those aforementioned coffee houses in high school uh, may have sung harmony here and there uh, with the band that I was working with in the 80s, um, but very little. 
very little, I mean, no real professional vocal experience. Um, and so I had to weigh that. I had to look at, on the one hand, if you could sing and play the hell out of the piano, call Jelly Rolls, we're hiring. Um, and on the other hand, I'm doing nothing with my life. So I looked at the two options and I said, well, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> okay. Because what have, I got, to lose? what have I got to lose? You know, yeah. I got nothing here. You know, I mean, you know, keep on working for Georgia lumber. I'm not going to do that. Right. You know, I keep on working, you know, for a temp agency. I'm not going to do that. Um, so I went in, uh, I auditioned and I got the gig. Uh, and I remember the, the gig was Wednesday through Saturday nights. So it was four nights a week. Uh, I think he paid me a hundred dollars a night, something like that. All right. Uh, plus tips, and the tips were great. We double our salary because this was know. a very new concept at the time, right? Uh, it was a fairly new concept. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because let's uh, just right. take a take a quick uh, uh, detour from your story for a second. Sure. And um, explain because you you did this yesterday and it's right. really interesting. The basically the uh, the genesis of dueling pianos because you you were saying you're one of the last guys to really know. Uh, the the true history of it, right? Of how it uh, began. So, right, right. Uh, please, okay. Just and we'll, then we'll get back to uh, yeah, to, sure. To, yeah, we'll get back to jelly rolls. To jelly rolls, yeah. Yeah, because that's a story in and of itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, well, well, dueling pianos is a um, it's the full title of the of the concept was dueling piano sing along. Okay. All right, and uh, the clubs were called dueling piano sing along bars. That's what they were originally. Uh, that's what they were originally intended to be, uh, and that's what they were. They were dueling piano singalongs. Now, so, and, and why? Do you know why they're called dueling pianos? Because I never understood yeah. that. Because I, and unless you guys are like saying my side of the audience is better than your side of the audience, right? You, you guys never duel. It's just it's trade off, no. trade off, trade off, trade right. off. Right. Um, Was it just a cool word? Or? No, it's it's dueling because. It's D-U-E-L-I-N-G. And I think it's that because I think I think they chose that word. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you why somebody chose the word dueling pianos, but I can tell you that um, as best I can tell, okay, it's D-U-E-L-I-N-G because there's no such word as D-U-A-L-I-N-G. Duel. As in, as in two. As in two. Oh. Correct. Interesting. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, you can't spell, there, there's no word as dueling, two-ing, two, you know, doing a dual thing like that. Yeah, with but more the, than, the Beatles yeah. still did B-E-A-T-L-E-S. They did. To B-E-E. They did. And really? I guess, you know, if we went back in time, I could find the jabroni who decided <laughs> to call dueling pianos, dueling, and I could have, you know, maybe put the spark in his head and... We could have, you know, had the A in there. Too. Had the A in there, but okay. that does, okay, that does make sense, right? Okay, so I mean, that's you know, and 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 also dueling, D U E L I N G. I think it, it, it's like, well, people are, well, this is strange. What is this? Yeah, definitely. Okay, what are, what are they going to do? Are they going to take the pianos and like pick them up and fight with each other? Are they going <laughs> to, you know, or are they going to, you know, sit there and play a couple of songs and then have a fight with the, you know, a fist fight or something? It's or, just two guys fighting whatever. with their organs. That's two guys fighting about. with their organs. Thank you. There you go. Thank yep. you, Mr. Schultz. Thank you. So, okay. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. So, it was uh, conceived as dueling piano sing along bars. Right. Dueling piano sing along bars. And right. this started where? All right. This started 
um, the original concept, the concept of sing-along bars goes back a hundred or more years. Um, it was uh, a very popular thing in Ireland. Okay. I know that. Um, I know that because the first place uh, that really did it in America that really was was calling itself a sing-along bar, if not necessarily a dueling piano bar, okay, per se, but I know Pat O'Brien's is a place that's in New Orleans. And Pat O'Brien's has been there since, uh, we could look it up, uh, I want to say the 40s. Okay. You know, something like that. I mean, they've been, they've been there forever. And uh, they, they're still there now. Wow. Uh, definitely. Um, that's cool. Yeah, they... You know, this would be an interesting thing. I'd actually have to, I want to digress just for a second. This would be an interesting thing to, um, you know, it's worth a Google. Uh, we should, you know, take a look and see what they're doing there. Now, I know that they're still, they're still doing uh, the dueling concept, but I wonder how it's evolved or uh, devolved or, you know, man how it manifests itself now on stage there. I'd love to, love to see that. I'd love to see snapshots from it or whatever. See if they have a website. We would, would do it right now, do. but the Wi-Fi sucks. But the so Wi-Fi much. does suck. That's right for all you podcast people. The yes. Wi-Fi it's the one one drawback. There you go. But um, in any event, uh, so Pat O'Brien's was uh, the original sing-along bar, for lack of a better term. Okay. Um, the first one that was really doing that in the '40s. Then um, they came under new ownership. I think it was a family-owned, uh, you know, um, place. Uh, to, to begin with, a family-owned venue to begin with, um, as far as I know it was. They came under new ownership in the 80s, and the people that w that took over Pat O'Brien's decided to expand, and they decided to break out into, into other markets. Okay. And they picked Dallas, Texas, to open in. And they decided to use a different name. I don't know why. Okay, they opened up in a place that was there for, I, again, I, I don't know how many years, uh, but the place was called uh, Alley Cats. That was the name of the club that was there. Again, why they changed from Pat O'Brien's to Alley Cats, not sure. It was called Alley Cats, and it was in a venue, a multi-purpose multi venue, not multi-purpose, multi, -purpose, multi um, what do they call these? A uh, place like Coco Walk in South Florida. What do they call that? A, oh, uh, like a... Yeah. Uh, what would like, you even like, call like that? Entertainment center? Yeah, an entertainment complex. Yeah. Okay, where there's restaurants and bars right. and nightclubs and a movie theater and shops and so forth or mm -hmm. whatever. But so, so a multi-function, multi multi-purpose, multi, uh, as it were. Right. The entertainment complex. place was called Dallas Alley. Okay, and okay. that was in, in obviously in Dallas, Texas. Uh, the uh, club was called Alley Cats. And what, uh, what they did was uh, Pat O'Brien's people, okay, the company that owned Pat O'Brien's, opened this place, Alley Cats. They sent two of their veterans from Pat O'Brien's, from New Orleans, out to Dallas to train younger people, younger guys it turned out to be for the most part, um, to do the gig. Uh, there were very few females uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the show at the time. Uh, there was 
a couple here and there. Uh, I could name drop in a little bit, but it was mostly guys. So there were the founding, it was uh, the founding fathers of, of the concept, as it were. Okay. All right. Uh, but they were being taught by these elderly ladies from Pat O'Brien's who, the way they would do their show is they would sit piano to piano, pian two pianos facing each other, and a big stack of sheet music on each side of the piano. Big stacks of sheet music. Okay. This is predates iPads by a, a long, quite some time, a couple of decades, obviously. Yeah. So um, big stacks of sheet music, and most of it was old Broadway sing-along songs or old song from old musicals from My Fair Lady. You know, I could have danced all night. Wow, da, 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 nothing da, da, says party in a bar uh, like My like, Fair Lady. My Fair Lady, absolutely. Well, in the 40s, it did. Okay? In the 40s and the 50s, it did. And people wanted to hear Sinatra. And they wanted to hear all that stuff. And they wanted to hear Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue. And they wanted to hear, you know, You Made Me Love You and, sing, and songs like that. Many the Moocher. Many the Moocher, which I still play that. I still play now, actually. People still want to hear it. Okay? Well, it's a good it's, song. It's a good song. Well, it's a good song. It's a classic. 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 Actually. So, so um, anyhow, uh, yeah, but they would, they had all this all this sheet music, and uh, so people would ask them for songs, and they would dig through their sheet music and play requests for people. And that was Pat O'Brien. So they tried to do the same type of thing in Dallas at Alley Cats, and they taught these young guys who were – and this is you said like mid eighties. This is this is eighty six or eighty eight, okay. and I have to get I have to get clarification on that because I've told the story enough times now that I I want to make sure that I got the year right. Okay. Although so mid to late eighties. Right, mid to late eighties. Although funny enough, though, I mean, knowing the guys actually who who opened it, I wouldn't be surprised if they were unclear themselves, uh, if they weren't sure themselves if it was eighty six or eighty eight. But um, we'll see. So, but it was either one. And they, um, so, so these elderly women came out and were telling them to do, oh, this is what people want to hear. They want to hear uh, Frank Sinatra. They want to hear Fly Me to the Moon. They want to hear, you know, uh, That's Amore and stuff. And these guys are playing these songs and they're getting nowhere. The club is not doing well at all. Uh, aren't you surprised? Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, and th this is, uh, oh, I'm sorry, keep going. Keep yeah. Going. I mean, this is the again the mid mid to late nineteen eighties. The audience that's coming in are people that are at the time anywhere from I mean, it's roughly the same demographic that you have now. People in their mid twenties, let's say to early forties, okay, might be the you know good fifteen year span is about the average, you know. And then of course there's you know younger and older, but I mean that's you know anywhere twenty four to twenty five to forty. Okay, um, well. People that were 25 to 40 years old, you know, in the late 1980s, I mean, you look back at it now and you talk to somebody who's 25 now and they may not know the difference, but I mean, certainly, uh, and I could say it, that was me back then. I wasn't listening to Frank Sinatra. Or My Fair Lady. Or right? My Fair Lady. Okay. Right. I certainly, you know, and so, and neither were the guys that were playing the piano, but that's what they were being told to play. Right. So concept was going nowhere. Uh, the way it was, they were unhappy. The uh, the four players that were working there at the time, unhappy with what they were doing. And uh, one night, uh, they had a, I guess the room was maybe half packed, 
I don't know if so. I, don't, I doubt they had a full room. And, and how long do you think the club has been open at this point? I don't know. I wish I knew. Okay, okay. not more than a couple of years. Okay. Okay. Uh, I want to say maybe a year. Okay. I want to say maybe a year. Got it. Uh, which is why I tend to think that it was '88 as opposed to '86. But in any event, um, and uh, the guys were around my age, a little bit older. A little bit older. So you're looking at guys that were probably 25, 26 years old at the time. Okay. Okay. A few years old. A few years. Uh, can't speak a few years older than me. Okay. And um, and so they're, they're, they're just they're doing this gig one night. and They're doing this happening. gig one night. It's going nowhere. They're getting tepid. They're getting golf claps, yeah. you know, from the audience. And they're fed up. And they did a similar split to what we do in... Well, it's not what we do here on the ship, but it was it what was it it was what became the standard split, which was four players on per night for a six hour show. Okay. Okay. Each team of two players doing three sets of an hour each. Okay. Okay. So you and I would go on at eight, ten, and twelve, and then John Doe and John B would go on from you know at eleven. Nine, uh, eleven, nine, and nine one. eleven, and one. Thank yeah. you. That's right. And the show would run from eight to two, like right. that. So um, that's what they were doing. So w- one night, concepts going nowhere. Team A or whatever they were got off stage, and the team was a, a guy. There were two guys named Ken Goodwin and okay. Steve Green. Okay. They were. That was the team. And they go back, they're, they, they're taking their break. The other two guys are on stage. I want to say that the other two guys on stage were a guy named John Glazer and a guy named Rod Norman. I believe that was the other team. Uh, and they're up there doing My Fair Lady, going nowhere. Steve Green and Ken, Go- Ken Goodwin are in the back uh, taking their break. And Steve Green says to his wife, at the time, God, honey, I'm so pissed off. I can't stand, you know, this is not what I signed up for. I thought it was going to be upbeat. I thought it was going to be whatever. They're holding us back, blah, blah, blah. And his wife says to him, well, honey, why don't you just go up there and play what you think is the right song to play? Why don't you just play what you want? And he thought about it. And I suppose he felt he had nothing to lose other than his job. But he had, you know, he, he decided when it was him, uh, when it was his and Ken's turn, uh, that team to go back up. They sat down. He looked over at Ken. You know, Ken may have played a song. I forget who played the first song of the set. Uh, but when it was Steve's turn to play, he looked at Ken. He looked at the audience. They're looking at him. And this light bulb went off in his head. And he played the first eight notes to old time rock and roll. Ah. He does that. And the way it was told to me, and it was, there's no exaggeration because neither of these guys, um, I've met both of them. Uh, I was trained in part by Ken Goodwin. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, neither of these guys are, were, are given to. Uh, you know, exaggeration. There's no re- no reason to exaggerate it. They said literally a like a light bulb went off in in the audience. It was sort of like a come to Jesus moment. <laughs> okay, when he played those eight notes, people's heads picked up from inside their drinks and their beers. 
you know, and their ears perked up. And he did it again, and they sat up even straighter. And then he goes into the song. Ken stands up, which he wasn't really supposed to do necessarily. He gets people clapping, and that was the beginning. Wow. That was the beginning of dueling pianos sing along the rock and roll version, for lack of a better term. Got it. it. It's Got always it. been called since then uh, rock and roll dueling pianos, you know, or rock and roll dueling pianos sing along, or just dueling pianos. Right, right. Okay, like that. You, you know, know, it's funny. When you tell that story, I pick... Because it almost feels like it's like a, like an animal house moment. Yeah. Where, like, the frat guys, you know, yeah. get the better. And I yeah. just picture those two old women in the back going, No, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. Say you're my fair lady. Exactly. Oh, you young kids. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Miss Sophie and Miss Edith got sent home. Okay, back to New Orleans or whoever it was. You know, that's why they, they went by Miss This, Miss That, because they're Southern genteel, whatever. Of course. They, uh, you know, were, thank you very much, ladies. Your services are no, no longer, longer needed. Required, yes. Okay, no longer required. You're sent back home, and uh, the concept uh, took off. That's very, so, that is yeah. such a cool story. Yeah, yeah. That it's yeah. just from that one little moment. One little moment. And, and just, eight notes. Eight notes. Eight a, notes. A, literally a new form of entertainment was born yeah i you know um it's really no exaggeration to say that i owe my career um to to those guys yeah to those uh, we all notes. do yeah yeah we all do um you know i'm playing with someone now i'm playing with divina mm-hmm. who you know divina yanetti yes. okay wonderful wonderful very piano talented player, incredibly talented young lady um and uh you know, she is. We, we joke about this because it's 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 funny and whatever. She's my great granddaughter. <laughs> okay, um, she is my great grand. She's my dueling pianos great granddaughter. Now, why is she my great granddaughter? I trained somebody, a guy named Ken Gustafson. Uh, Ken Gu- and I, I taught him the concept. I, when I say I taught him, I wasn't the only person that taught him. Right. Okay. It was myself and a few other players uh, in 1995. Okay. When we, uh, you know, I was, this is, I'm sort of bopping around uh, time here, you know, years, fast forwarding a little bit. But 1995, I helped to uh, teach this, this young man, Ken Gustafson, how to do the show. Um, he, in turn, taught somebody a few years later guy named Jono, uh, Jono, uh, Jono Daly, I believe is his last name, mm-hmm. uh, in Boston. Or actually, no, he taught him in New Orleans. Okay, um, they were open, they was, there was a howl at the moon, okay, in New Orleans. Uh, Ken was there, he taught this guy. And then this guy, Jono, opened taught. up, ta- opened up, was on the opening team in Boston several years later, and this is just a few years ago now, I think she's only been doing it for six or six or seven years, something like that, wow. whatever it is, uh, and he taught her. Wow. So I begat Ken, Ken begat Jono, Jono begat Davina. She is my great-granddaughter. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so she very calls me, She calls me Gramps, by the way. <laughs> Got to make you feel good. Oh, <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. So, um... Uh, so quickly, so you're now at Jelly Rolls in Atlanta. Right. You get this gig. Right. You learn the concept. Right. You, I assume, love it. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because suddenly, and now you're and you're singing too. And I'm singing because you had never you said you never sung professionally. Correct. Was that nerve wracking for you to go up behind the piano and now start singing? At first, yeah, definitely. And um, I can remember again. This was pre you know predating iPads by a good decade or more or whatever it was. Um, we uh, we would sit down. The guy Jimmy turned out to be a guy named Jimmy Ross. Uh, who was my first official mentor uh, at, at Jelly Rolls. And this was for the year and a half that I was working for that company. Uh, it wasn't until uh, later on in 1990, uh, excuse me, 1993. So 93 when I started there. Right. Uh, I started there in August of 93, and it was later on in 94 that I moved to Miami and worked for Howl at the Moon. Right. Stayed there for five years, better part of five years. So... Um, but Jimmy and I would sit, Jimmy was the first mentor at, at Jelly Rolls. We would sit in a place called Oxford Books in Atlanta, Georgia. I can't remember what street it was on, but it was called Oxford Books. And this is when, well, this is when bookstores still existed. <laughs> bookstores other than Tell Barnes. Tell me more, Gramps. Tell me more, Gramps. Tell me about when bookstores were there. Bookstores were a thing. That's right. Uh, there in Atlanta. Suddenly, Ben is a is a yeah. uh, uh, black Southern belle. About tell Southern me more about the bookstores, about, you know, tell, tell me about the oh, bookstores, Grandpa. I, I declare. That's right. That's what you mean. You mean there was other bookstores besides Barnes and Noble? Oh, yes. Back then, we had oh. Barnes and men were noble. And we had no. That's right. There was two different bookstores: Barnes and noble. noble. Right. Yeah. So this was Oxford Books, okay, Oxford Books in Atlanta, and Jimmy and I would sit <clears throat> and go to the uh, the music book section of, of the of the bookstore. I mean, it was a huge bookstore. I mean, it covered you know three, four floors, whatever it was. It was great, awesome, awesome uh, uh, repository of all kinds of things and videos. They had this, they had that, whatever, all kinds of stuff there, and. Um, We'd sit in the sheet music and music music department, so to speak, and we'd sit on the floor and write down lyrics <laughs> from the books, which we weren't supposed to do. <laughs> right. It was weren't supposed to. How about illegal? Okay, it was illegal, but we did it anyhow until we got caught. You know, or or sometimes we just wouldn't get good. People would leave us alone. I mean, we're just sitting there copying down lyrics. You know, and uh, he'd, he'd find a book that was, you know, the greatest hits of the 1960s, greatest uh, pop ballads uh, of the 1970s, whatever. It's big, thick music book. Right. And we go through the table of contents. This would be a good song. Okay, this would be a good one or whatever, you know, uh, you know, and, and whatever. It never occurred and, to you just to buy the book? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that would be too easy. That would be too easy, and it yeah. was. And why buy a book that has, you know, fifty songs in it, uh, if you only need three of those for yeah. the show? Fair enough. If you only need the lyrics to three of them, if you know, if you know that only three of those songs are going to work for your show, why spend twenty, twenty, or twenty-five dollars on a book that you really don't necessarily need? All right. Right. And also, he and I didn't need the chords. We didn't need the sheet music. We only needed the lyrics. Oh, I got you. So, you know, and they didn't. It was harder to find books that just had lyrics. Um, in fact, I don't think they really existed very much. I can't really recall books that had lyrics. 
that was something that you had to compile yourself right. if you were going to do that. Just put, you know, lyrics and chord symbols. Most of it was, you know, a music book has sheet music in it, mm -hmm. you know, of a hundred songs or whatever. So, uh, so we just sit there and just, you know, just copy them down. Huh? Just copy down the lyrics. Just copy down the lyrics. We sit on the floor and do it and do that. And we do, you know, and we go have a couple of beers afterwards. Nice. Like that. So, yeah. And this was in Miami. No, this was in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Was in, that was in Atlanta. That was in and, Atlanta. Uh, and then you said then you moved to Miami in uh, uh late nine late nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. Late nineteen ninety four. And um, yeah. was Howl at the Moon already there or were you Well, oh, I moved there to open up Howl at the Moon. Really? Yeah. Now Howl at the yeah. Moon is probably the most well known dueling chain right. out mm -hmm. there. Uh, was were they are because they originated in I want to in Cincinnati Cincinnati in, in 1990 in 90 okay so right. 94 was Miami like one of the first satellite rooms that they had it was one of the first five I want to say that it was either the fourth or the fifth okay um, they had I know they had Cincinnati they had Cleveland and Columbus maybe or just one of the two but they might have had both mm -hmm. Cleveland and Columbus they had Orlando. Uh, and then I think we were the fifth. Okay. Yeah, we were and, probably the fifth. And they found you from Jelly Rolls? They had scouts or something out there? Uh, they didn't have scouts. Um, they had Orlando. <coughs> they had the club in Orlando. Um, I was working for Jelly Rolls in Atlanta, and then I opened up a Jelly Rolls that was short-lived um, in Tampa. Okay. Uh, he wanted to open up. He wanted to also expand. And uh, I think that the guy that owned it wanted to do something like how the moon was doing, which was moving around, opening up in different different cities. He had one. The original Jelly Rolls was in Pittsburgh, um, and then he had uh, the club in Atlanta, and he wanted to move down to Tampa next. Gotcha. So he opened up in Tampa, and he asked me if I wanted to go down there and. Uh, help him uh, be the the entertainment director for it or whatever, and help him hire play, players and train players and and so forth and so on. And I figured, great, Tampa's a little bit closer to home. I'm from South Florida, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Instead of be having to be a flight away, I could be a drive away and right. uh, just a, a car ride away or whatever. And uh, so I went down to Tampa. Um, didn't last too long there uh, in Tampa um, because of the guy that owns. Jelly, jelly rolls. rolls right okay. so so did uh, you go to orlando then to... well because you know, what i'd i'd heard that through the grapevine that how the moon was going to be opening up in miami and coconut grove mm -hmm. uh, i think coco walk was uh the complex the, the multi-purpose sort of uh, yeah. entertainment complex uh and i think that they had only been around for a few years at the time okay so this is 94 mm -hmm. maybe they opened up in 90 or something, or whatever like that. So they were relatively new place, uh, and they were going to open up uh, Howl at the Moon. That I heard through the grapevine, they were going to open up, and I got in touch with uh, the guy that was doing the hiring for that club. He happened to be a player in Orlando. Um, I can remember the first time I spoke to him on the phone. I actually was on a break from Jelly Rolls uh, in Tampa, and it was on like a Friday night or something, and I went and. Uh, I called him from a payphone around the corner. I was on my on my break from from Jelly Rolls. Went and called up and said, "Hey, I'm not real happy here. What do you think? Are you guys hiring?" He says, "Well, why don't you come over to Orlando and audition for us?" And I was in luck because they were open seven nights a week, either six or seven nights a week, and I was playing Wednesday through Saturday 
in Tampa. So you had a couple of days off. So I had a couple of days off where they were open, either Monday or Tuesday or whatever. And I drove over to Orlando, went and auditioned for Chris Roberts, um, Dave Matthews, and Sam Leatherwood. Not the Dave Matthews. Not the Dave Matthews, but he is our Dave Matthews. Gotcha. Okay, and he is one of the founding fathers. Of Hell the Moon. Of, of, of dueling pianos, oh. period. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he's one of those guys that came in to that place in Dallas uh, that I was talking about. He uh, he wasn't one of the first four, but he was a... Once they went rogue, mm-hmm. okay, once they went rock and roll, uh, they had the freedom once they sent Miss Lily and Miss uh, Elizabeth uh, back to, um, they were, uh, uh, to New Orleans. Uh, they had uh, free reign to hire... Younger people, younger guys, and do whatever. So Dave and uh, Dave Matthews and Sam and Chris and a few other people were people that came on board at that time. So they were really the you know part of the original original the OG the original the original rock and roll dueling pianos concept. Gotcha. gotcha. They they built they built that. Gotcha. They built that. Um, so, so you did the audition in Orlando. Did the audition in Orlando because they were again they're working for Howl at the Moon at this point now. They're working for Howl at the Moon in Orlando. Uh, and uh, auditioned for them, got the gig, and uh, this is an interesting, it's a little bit of a diversion, but um, would you like to hear the story of what happened to me at Jelly Rolls when I told the uh, the guy that, uh, yeah, we have to check the time yeah. here, or whatever, but when I told the guy that, was, that I was working for at Jelly Rolls, when I told him that I was quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll make it real short, okay? Sure. He um, he wasn't very happy, right? and he was on steroids, <laughs> and was a very misanthropic, uh, antisocial, angry man to begin with. Uh, there's a lot of stories about him. I'm not going to name drop him. It's not worth it. Okay. Um, but he wasn't very happy, and he wound up. Uh, shoving me up against a wall and telling me he was going to break my fat Jewish nose. Really? Yes, really. Yeah. But when he shoved me up against the wall, he walked away right away. He wa- It was a, a quick push and a shove, and I'm up against the wall, and he's away already. Okay. You know? So it was more to intimidate me. Right. And it was more to scare me than anything else. And well, I when you put it that way, sure, I'd love to keep working for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, geez, Mike, thanks. Okay, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and I don't know where I got the nuts to do this, but I after he after he put me up against the wall and walked away, I went after him. <laughs> okay, and I said, "Is that all you got? Is that I mean, what's going on here now?" And part of it was. I mean, I wasn't I hadn't, hadn't drunk anything, so it wasn't alcohol speaking. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Uh, part of it was that we were walking. He was heading back towards the club, and there were people gathered around because we had been in a yelling match prior to that, prior to him pushing me up against the the, the wall mm-hmm. of, the, of the club. This was outside in the courtyard. Um, so he starts walking back towards the club, and people are gathered around, and I'm I'm trailing him now. Right. And I'm saying, why don't you do that in front? Oh, do it, do it again in front of everybody. I said, do it. So now, now we have witnesses. Do it again. And he gets in my face again. Didn't touch me. Of course. Didn't touch me. Okay. Um, in hindsight, I, 
thank God. <laughs> because, uh, you know, because big I mean, fat Jewish nose it, busted, my big fat yeah. would, have, would, have been, would have been busted and it could have been a whole different thing. You know, I like to think, I mean, I'm not a small guy, you know, and I'd like to think I would have gotten a couple of shots in, you know, mm. just somehow, okay, or whatever. But the truth is, he probably would have kicked my ass. But, but you know, I mean, it, he did, that wasn't what, his, what he was trying to do. He was trying to scare me into staying right. and honoring my one page contract that he had written for written me written up for me uh, six months before he had written up a one page contract which was nothing more than a non compete clause it mm. was one page of a non compete that's all it said okay that's really all it said it just said that if I ever were you know it said uh, that he had uh, the right to fire me at any time. He could fire me at any time. Didn't say anything about me quitting. Okay. Didn't say I couldn't quit. All right. Okay. Just said, you know, that if, uh, you know, that if I got fired or whatever, that I couldn't work for a competing club within 50 miles or something like that, which I wasn't, which I wasn't planning on doing. Right. Okay. So there was nothing holding me back from leaving and whatever. And to this day, okay, that was 1994. So we're looking at 23 years ago now. Okay, uh, he owes me seven hundred and eighty-seven dollars and fifty cents. Really? Yes. Yes. Not that I'm keeping track. I was going to say maybe at this point you can let it go. Yeah, I could probably let it go after twenty-three years. <laughs> um, it was. Uh, it was. But it was seven hundred and eighty-seven dollars and fifty cents. Very well spent on my part. Okay, because I never have to see him ever again. I right. never, never saw him again. Uh, have no interest in ever seeing him again. Uh, and it was like removing, you know, a piece of, uh, you know, some sort of... Like ben- a cancer. Like a cancer, like a, either a benign or malignant tumor. I got rid of that yeah. as a surgery, you know, and I also, I manned up to him. Yeah, I mean, walk I really away had, with your head held high. Uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, you know, and I told him to go fuck... Well, can I say that? Yeah. Sure, I told him to go fuck himself. No, you can't say that. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, well, let me say it again. I told him to go fuck, fuck himself. himself. Okay. Fuck and himself. Good. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he anti Semitic son of a bitch. Yeah. And uh, that was it. Nice. Yeah. So, so, went to work for Howl at the Moon. Went to work for Howl at the Moon went in Miami, which in is Miami. funny enough, which is where I met you in 97. Yeah, that is right. When I started working at the new improv that was in Coconut Grove. That's correct. And, um, uh, yeah. Used to hang out at Howl at the Moon all the time, which there was very cool. It's full, so much fun how it's almost how it's full circle now that I'm doing the ship so much. Yeah, and the ships are great, wonderful entertainment. But I'm always hanging out at Howl. There it's, you go. It's, it's, it's the it's the, uh, the it's it's where the entertainers go to hang. Uh, it really so is so funny. It's so funny the way it really that is. works. Yeah. yeah, it really is. All man. these years later, all and you're send, and you know what's wonderful is like you are still. I know we've talked about it before, and and you, uh, you you're to the point now to where you say that dueling is, uh, uh, you're not. It's not what it once was to you, I That's guess, correct. at the beginning, right? As far as just it, it was new, it was fresh, right. you know, you were a different person then, right? And I know that you've said you want to branch out more creatively, mm-hmm. doing uh, other things, right? But I got to tell you, man, even knowing that. Kind of knowing the behind the behind the uh, veil of Ben Michaels, right. when I see you up on stage, it doesn't show, man. You still, it still shows uh, that you, you you enjoy doing it. You enjoy That's the, uh, especially when you're working with great partners like yeah. you are this week, and you know the audience is grooving with you, and uh, you know maybe you get a song that you really you love to play, whatever, and, sure. that, and yet it, there's still that gleam in your eyes, you know, sure. the gleam in your eyes. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. 
So nice. it, it's uh, it's it's a wonderful uh, it's it's a journey that's not over yet. Well, thank you. You know, and it's it's thank really you. cool. Thank you. I really. Watch. I mean, that's uh, you know, it's. I mean, a lot of people don't even still don't even know what dueling pianos is. You know, we're a big country. I mean, people, it, it's not everywhere. It's much more pervasive now and much, mm -hmm. more, um, uh, much more well-known now than it was, you know, 25 years ago. Uh, you know, no question about that. But there are people still that come into the shows here on the ship that have, it's like, what is this? Oh, yeah. You know, they, they, they expect, you know, the pianos to be picked up and thrown at each other or whatever, <laughs> or, or whatever it is. They, they, have, no, they have no idea. That's, but I think that's really cool, too, because right. people who have no idea what that is, you can't. Unless you are just like a very stick in the mud, uh, conservative person, you can't help but not enjoy yourself right. in that place. You know, right. so it's fun seeing people who don't know the concept and and just that that's cool. Like you yeah. are their their first introduction to this new uh, form of entertainment, and right. you will be you know uh, 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 what's the word seared into their memory. As introducing them to something they've never heard before. God help them. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, that's right. They're <laughs> my 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 bald head. Okay, <laughs> my my hat covered bald head and my 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 bearded face singing uh, "Brown Eyed Girl" or whatever it is. You know, will be seared into their memory. So um, not a bad thing. I was gonna say I don't think that's a bad thing. Not a bad thing. That and. Um, you know, I do want to. I do want to mention this to you, and I think that uh, this is something you and I have also spoken about: um, the similarities between stand-up and uh, and dueling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as uh, as uh, creative endeavors, as it oh, were. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, I've, um, I've, I've I've mentioned this on the show when I've had uh, Brandon Kent, another uh, dueler right. and friend of ours. Right. That um, the that there are many similarities and only two differences that I've found between stand-up and dueling. Mm -hmm. You know, we, uh, similarities, we're, we're on the road, we're mm -hmm. road dogs, mm -hmm. we deal with uh, shit clubs yep. and great clubs, we deal with obviously shit bookers, yeah. we've got screwed on money, yes. we've had great crowds, we've had bad crowds, we have to know how to read a crowd. We Reading have to, the crowd, key. You know, yes. we, yeah, we have to know uh, how to handle drunks, we yes. have to know how to handle whatever distractions might come along. We have to be able to change shit on the fly. Absolutely. Like all of those similar things. The only difference is, uh, the only two really that I can think of is, whereas you guys are, uh, you're a team, generally two to three, so I guess on land four, mm -hmm. uh, members of a team, uh, right. members uh, at a show, but two to three on stage at a time, mm -hmm. and you have uh, your instruments to, to right. uh uh, fall back to fall back on fall it. back on yeah right. whereas com comedians are generally on stage alone Correct. with no instruments just no. our our mind and our wit absolutely and the other difference is that uh duelers have you have bits you have the uh joy to the world you right. have the pussycat you have the toasts mm -hmm. that you guys uh you either hear on the road and you're you're encouraged to take and spread out or if you write right. your own you're encouraged yeah yeah take it yeah. use it yeah. Whereas comedians, it is the hundred percent opposite. Cardinal yeah. sin is to take another comic's uh, joke Absolutely. and pass it off as your own. Absolutely, and I and I want to say that for whatever it's worth. I mean, I I I bow down to the uh, to the to the talent uh, level and the uh, the the creative level, the the level of creativity, the um, uh, amount of creativity that that you have uh, to be able to write the jokes that you have over these years. I mean, I know that you've been doing this. Uh, as long as I've been doing dueling, 
Okay, I want to say actually, you, yeah, you know what? Even, very, very, very close. Very close, or maybe even long. You know, around that time. Yeah. Okay, that you that you started doing your stand up. You you know um, what? You're not wrong. Yeah, around absolutely. the same time you started. Absolutely, started early nineties. Dueling, I started doing yeah. my first open mics. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and you've been amassing since then a body of Flip Schultz work. Okay, Flip Schultz material. You know, and I. I can't say that. Okay, I have been doing what I do. Okay, but I've been doing covers. So you do original material, original Flip Schultz material, and I still, to this day, for as much as you know, I love what I do, um, and as deep seated that um, uh, that joy is that I get. Okay, from doing what I do, and I'm so, again, thank you for noticing that there's still a gleam in my eye and that there's still a smile on my face and mm-hmm. it still makes people happy, which I'll get to, I wanted to mention also something about that. But, um, you know, for all of that, there's still a part of me that looks at, you know, what you do, and it's like, I mean, I bow down to that, man. I can't, I don't, I, sometimes I feel as if I don't have, I don't have access, okay, to the creative parts of me that um, I don't have full access to it, okay? And I feel that what you've done is that you've honed that sort of access. You've honed that, um, uh, how should I put it? Uh, I, I can't think of the best analogy right now, but you have, you have found a way and to, to zoom in and get right to the creative well, for lack of a better term. Well, you know what I think it you is? Know? It's... I have that muscle in my brain right. that I've been training for over 25 years to see the comedy in moments, to know how to structure a joke, whatever. It's just a muscle. The yeah. same way your musicality is a muscle. Right. The same way I look at you on stage and you without any real uh, 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 hesitation or, or even second thought can sit in front of a piano, see a song, and just go into it perfectly. Your fingers move and glide. You're, 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 you're singing the lyrics perfectly. While, while your fingers are doing that, your voice is doing that, your eyes are still reading the other requests on stage to know what to do next. And re- right. I see that, and I am blown away by that. Right. And that's a muscle that you have sure. that is so sharp and so trained. So it's, it's not that I have this and you don't have that. It's right. that... I've just trained this, and you've trained that. Exactly. You have it. Right. You have crea- a creative muscle, and you sure. can do anything. It's just you know your focus has rightfully so been in right. the musicality of it. Right, right. Which is uh, which gets back to our earlier point, uh, or an earlier point that that, that you had uh, that you had made that I, I would like to stretch out. Okay, um, you know, to mixing all kinds of metaphors here, but you know, I would like to stretch out uh, and and do other things. Um, you know, creatively, I mean, get myself involved in other creative endeavors. I mean, that's what I'm, you know, hoping to do this year with the, uh, you and I had spoken about my uh, taking some acting coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, and availing myself of that while I live in New York. I'm going to be taking a uh, sabbatical as Going back to New York. Going back to New York. Going to do it right this time. Yeah. This time, instead of two years, three months. Get out. In and out. In and out. Okay, three months. Um, but, you know, try and make those uh, three months productive uh, as opposed to two years of uh, hell. No. Um, <laughs> well, you know what, man? Because yeah. um, this, this, uh, we're presently on a transatlantic crossing right now. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, and this is my last shift that I'm doing until October, right. as of right now. Right. And I think you're, I'm going to see you. You are going to see me. At the end of October or I mean, in no, November? No, you're going to see me in December. In December. In December we're, we're on, the coming on, uh, on the right escape. On the escape. Right after Thanksgiving on the escape. Right, exactly. So here's what I think I'm going to do. Okay. In November, when yeah. I see you again, yeah. because we do, because we have been talking, this has been a wonderful uh, conversation. Yeah, why? Um, we're going to pick this up. Okay. In November at a okay. future podcast after okay. you've had your three months in New York. Okay. You've had a creative uh, renaissance. I've, I'm already predicting it. Your, ma- your mouth to God's ears, to, as well, we I've, say. We, I have a, I, I know him. You have a direct line. I know him. You I do? Know him. I've, I've opened for him a few times. Thank you, Rabbi. You're okay. welcome. Okay. Um, we're going to pick this up, and okay. uh, I want to hear all about where you are creatively at right that on. point in November, and we'll oh, reminisce about this. and. We'll, uh, we'll pick it all up, man. Okay. This has been such a great uh, this conversation. This is wonderful, brother. man. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, well, do you have yeah. a website or Facebook or anything people can um, find you online? I don't have a website. Um, just like I've never been to concerts, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't have a website. Um, I have my Facebook page, Which okay, is? that people can go to if yeah. you do a search uh, for Ben Michaels. So B E N, like Benjamin, mm-hmm. uh, capital M I C H A E L S. Ben Michaels. Um, it's kind of a mix of professional and personal. All right. Okay, the page. I should tell people that it's a bit of a mix. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how many people are on there. Actually, I do know. Okay, there's close to 1,000. I looked at it, looked at it the other day. About but thousand. either way, that's the place that people can That's uh, the people, place that people can find me. And, you know, I'll put, a, yeah. I'll put a link up on the, uh, on the uh, podcast. Absolutely. And if, they, and if they would just do me, the, do me the favor that if they want to friend me on there, um, let me know that they heard the podcast. If they would, if that would be okay, and then you uh, let me know, and I'll know uh, my listenership. At that uh, point. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Excellent. So find okay. Ben Muckles at his Facebook page, and uh, thank you guys so much. This has been—I uh, think we've broken this up into about um, two, maybe even three episodes at this point. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for listening to this. It's a really fun. This was a really fun conversation, man. Right on, man. And uh, don't forget, you could find me uh, at Flip Schultz on Twitter. Um, Flipisfunny.com is my website. All my social media links are there. What's for dinner? podcast uh, dot com and at WFD pod uh, excuse me WFD podcast on Twitter and all my CDs and stuff on iTunes you guys know that stuff uh, thank you guys for listening so much and uh, I will talk to you later bye bye for dinner what's for dinner what what's for dinner talking talking about what's ever on their minds talking talking about what's ever on their minds talking talking about what's ever on their minds